Welcome to the Battling Pickle Podcast. This is a space where I, Dr. John Westfall, put together little mini lectures and podcasts for my students. Battling Pickle is an homage to the institution that I teach at, which is Delta State University. One of our mascots is the fighting okra. I'm not as ferocious as an okra, but I do like pickles. Today's episode focuses on a very peculiar phenomenon that our textbook mentions in educational psychology, and that is sort of forgetting the connection between what we learn in the classroom and then what we do when we're out in the field. This is something that I've always found very interesting with students because you'll talk to a student in the classroom and you'll give a lesson, whether that be through direct instruction or some sort of Socratic method or however you're getting the information across, you sort of feel really good about it as the educator. I went out, I told my students this is what they need to do, I I provided all of this, and then years go by and later you run into one of them and they look at you with astonishment and you go, you know, what you told me in class, I actually used that and it really worked. And as the instructor, you're sitting there going, well, of course it worked. I, I wanted it to work. That's why I told it to you. What did you think we were doing at the time when you were listening to it in my classroom? And that's where I kind of want to explore today what some of the possible reasons are for this disconnect. Why is it that students come to class, they pay tuition dollars, they are expected to take this material in and use it, and perhaps if you are in one of my classes, you are in this situation right now. You are paying to listen to this, even though I distribute it freely, it's assigned to you to listen to, and yet will you actually make the connection between what I am doing today and giving you this information and what you will eventually do in your career? Because ultimately, you go to college in order to get information for your career. And if you don't ever use any of it in your career, what was the point of getting it in college? So what are some of the reasons that students sit in our classrooms and they listen to what we say and then they get out in the real world, quote unquote, and they don't think to use it? First, before we can get into why students don't make that connection between what they're being taught in the classroom and their real-world careers, we have to think about how education is presented to students, especially over the last 20 years. We've gone from a situation where education was sold to students as a way of preparing them for life by broadening them and giving them a rich background of information to a methodology where we essentially said, you must know this and you must be able to repeat it back to us and we must be able to check a box that says you know it. The test-taking mentality that we thought was going to raise the bar by saying all students needed to have a core of information hurt us because students started seeing the information that we were giving them in class 
not as something that had far-reaching consequences, but had very immediate consequences. I need to be able to pass that test at the end of the year. I need to be able to pass that test at the end of the chapter. And when we do that to students, we set up a situation where their expectation is this information is needed in the short term. It is not needed in the long term. It's almost as if students tell us, I feel like I can dump out all that information after I don't need it anymore. And it's on us as educators to make a connection with that information that is throughout ideally a series of classes, but at the very least within one class. If we can make that connection, if we can tell students in week two that this material is going to have consequences for weeks seven, eight, nine, and then week 16, and then week 36, we can help them see that what we're telling them is not supposed to be limited to just our classroom. Of course, bringing in real world examples as best as possible will also aid in this. Being able to, for example, bring in someone, tell a story about their career and say, when I was in college, I learned this particular thing, or when I was in eighth grade, I learned this particular thing, or I had this particular event happen, and today I still use that. Funny enough, my father does this every day by talking about the most commonly used class or most useful class he took in high school, which he said was driver's ed. And as a traveling salesman, driver's ed was a very useful class to him. But in a less flippant way, it's making that connection. And as our book talks about intentionality, intentionality isn't just doing things with an intention in our own minds. It is conveying that intention to other people as well. And so before we can make it stick with students, we also must first open their eyes to the fact that what they're learning today in our classroom is not just for a test. It's not just for an end of your exam. It's for their life. So assuming that we've made the connection between what we're teaching and the real world and that intentionality is clear to our students, another reason that students may not necessarily connect what they're learning in class to a real world application is because of routine and pragmatics. And by that I mean if you think about the vignette in the first chapter of the textbook that talks about a teacher walking into another teacher's classroom and saying, well, gee, I remember learning about this in Ed Psych, but you're actually doing it. Think about that second classroom, the teacher that's doing the Ed Psych-related tasks. It's a very chaotic place. There are students working in small groups. There's a din of activity. In fact, uh, if you talk to a lot of veteran educators, they'll tell you that a classroom where work is being done typically is not very quiet. It typically has a higher level of activity. And what that means is that teacher has to be much more actively engaged with a number of moving parts and pieces. Same thing sort of goes when we're talking to students in a college classroom or in any kind of classroom. If we don't keep them somewhat having to juggle a few multiple things in the air, it becomes very easy to think that all I need to do 
is simply one task. I need to read this material and know it for whatever purpose we're going to use it for. Or I need to understand this application, or I need to understand this vignette, or I need to understand whatever it is that's currently being talked about. We don't often do a good job of reminding students that they need to be working with material on multiple levels at the same time. By that I mean if I'm teaching a lesson on, say, operant conditioning, and I want to impress upon students the idea of a reinforcer, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, those sorts of things, I might give a vignette that talks about that and have them identify the positive reinforcer or identify, label, whatever the consequence is, if it's a reinforcer or a punisher, any of those sorts of things. But then I need to push them beyond just that vignette. I can't simply say, okay, that was how this worked in a fictional setting because that's keeping them at that one particular level. As long as they can identify it in the test material or in the probe that I'm going to put out there where I can see that they're making that connection, I can't let that be enough. I need to then say, okay, imagine that you are working with your own child. How would you use this? Or you're working with a classroom, or you're working in a job, or you're working as a marketing manager doing this or that. I need to grab that application piece and force them to level with these on multiple things. In fact, I've even done this with students and they, they hate it, but it's the idea of you need to be able to identify this. You need to show me how it might work in different contexts, and I'm going to probe you on those different contexts and make you think through them. All of this is emulating behavior that I'm hoping later when they're in the real world, they're able to say, you know, this might have application to what I learned. And I'm comfortable working through it, even if there's no guidebook here, because I was pushed to not just think about this material on the level of my one particular class, but also on the level of real-world application, real-world pragmatics. How does it work? How does it not work? So pushing our students to see those different levels and honestly requiring more work out of them, it's not sufficient for you to just tell me, correctly that that's a positive reinforcer, give me other examples of positive reinforcers that might work. Give me examples of punishers that you could use instead of reinforcers if you wanted to go that route. And even better, why is the reinforcer better than the punisher if they both accomplish the same goal? That's making students grab the material and pull it in more ways than just simple identification. And of course, different grade levels are going to be uh, going to look different in this regard. You're not going to be extensively prodding a first grader in order to get this point across. But in a first grade classroom, the difference might be as simple as using one domain when talking about math problems and then extending it to a similar domain or generalizing to another area or another day problem for that child. Um, or even just asking children to describe their day and taking events and pulling the lesson into those events. You know, if your uh, student is talking about how they went to the zoo over the weekend with their parents and they saw a number of animals, how many animals? If you're counting 
you can draw that in versus simply just talking about the abstract problem that you did that day. That's application that should help draw a connection between students' classroom experiences to their real-world experiences at any level. Lastly, the final piece that I think explains the disconnect between students' information in the classroom and actually using that information in the real world is their motivation. And we have a whole chapter on motivation coming up toward the end of the class. It's in module three. And in that chapter, we talk about learning goals uh, or a goal for learning or mastery versus a goal for performance. And we know that as students get farther and farther into their formal education, performance goals become much more heightened. You must score this level on the test. You must score, uh, be in this grouping, or you must have this standing in the class or this academic honor or whatever it might be. Students begin to see the purpose of education not to learn and master material, but to meet a benchmark. And this sort of goes back to the first thing that I talked about, but it's deeper than that when you then extend it to motivation as a whole, because it's not simply, I need to get that benchmark. It's how do I view my self-efficacy? How do I view my control of the world? Do I base it on learning or do I base it on performance? And if I base it on performance and I get a low test grade, then my motivation will go down because I've built my identity, so to speak, around I am good at getting high grades on tests. If I build my motivation around learning mastery and I get a low grade, a good educator can point out to me that that is a learning mastery experience. I have now figured out that there is a deficiency in my learning uh, and I can work on that. I can grow. And that is a good thing to understand that because if you don't ever get that feedback, I often tell students one of the things you pay for in a college class is feedback. In the real world, your boss doesn't have to tell you if you're doing a good job and why, or if you're doing a bad job and why, it'd be nice if they do, but they could just say, you know what, you're not doing it right, you're fired, or I'm not going to promote you, or I'm not going to do this for you. And they don't have to give you that rich feedback that you pay for in a classroom. And so making that feedback tie into a learning or mastery goal versus tie into a performance goal, that can also be a very powerful way to tie in classroom content to the real world. Hopefully, these three elements that we've talked about in this podcast have given you a little bit of insight into how you view material that you're learning and how maybe you've become very performance goal-based. Maybe you came into this class thinking, I need to get a certain grade or I just need to pass this class for my program. That is a performance metric, and it's not a bad metric. But if you actually want to get value out of your education, you want to be pushing toward performance metrics uh, or away from performance metrics, I'm sorry, and pushing toward mastery and pushing toward uh, growth and all of those things. And hopefully this has given you some food for thought. This might have given you something to put in your weekly discussion this week uh, as you read through the chapters and think about what questions you want to put out there to the rest of the class.
this has been an episode of the Battling Pickle podcast. As I mentioned at the top, my name is Dr. John Westfall. I'm an associate professor of psychology at Delta State University. And this podcast feed, wherever you found this episode, is the feed that I use for all of my classes in psychology, first year seminar, etc. And so if you enjoy this content, you can hear a wide variety of things. If you'd like to interact with the podcast, uh, we are hosted through Anchor.fm. So you can just go to Anchor.fm slash battling pickle slash message and send me a voice message and i'd love to include that and uh, hear from listeners whether you're in my class or not have an awesome day and i am glad that you spent some time with me